Um, we are going to invite Luke Plimmer up to stage, who is going to do a little monologue to introduce the first part of the story, David, that we're going to be looking at. So give a round of applause to Luke. Hello, everyone. Hope everybody's doing all right today. I've got a really great story to tell you. Out of all the stories, this one is my favourite. So my story takes place in the Elah Valley. The valley was big. The Israelites were on one side and the Philistines were on the other. Two big armies fussing at one another. It was pathetic. One day the Philistines, they came out and they said, Hey, Israelites, we've got a surprise for you. And all of a sudden, we heard this thunderous noise. It was quite a Jurassic experience, I tell you that. What comes out of the Philistine camp is this huge nine-foot giant. He was big and 100% testosterone. The giant stood in the middle of the valley and shouted insults at the Israelites, demanding that someone fight him. He looked like Dwayne Johnson in one of his kids' movies. The giant Goliath would yell, Who will fight me? Anyone? Who is brave enough? I'm hungry for Israelite blood. Well, to say the least, no one would fight him. King Saul, bless his soul, had tried everything to get one of his men to fight this Goliath. He put together a very nice promise, like a true politician. He told his army that whoever, the, whoever killed the giant would get a 15% tax cut all the way around and his daughter's hand in marriage. With the welfare re reform benefits and Medicare, it was still a pretty nice package. Still zip, zilch, nada. The whole camp reeked of fear. Then David, this little guy, comes strolling up to give his brother some food. Oh, there was chicken, there was green beans, cob salad, and cheese souffle. Lots of protein, good meal. Young David started looking around. That's what the sleepover party was for, and his brothers filled him in. And David said so confidently that he would fight the giant. King Saul tried to talk him out of it, but David's response was, Hey, I've fought lions and bears before. What's so big about a giant? Saul reluctantly allowed him to fight, but he still wanted some credit, so he gave David his armour. It didn't fit him at all. It was pathetic. David goes out there into the middle of this valley with just a few stones and faced Goliath. Everyone is watching this sight. The Israelites are biting their fingernails and planning funeral arrangements. And the Philistines looked like they just won the Olympics. David was a few feet from the giant. And Goliath starts throwing insults at him. Hey, little man, you've come to fight me. You better hurry on back to your playhouse. I will squeeze you like a tube of toothpaste. And three out of four dentists won't recommend you. <laughs> David just looked at him and smiled and exclaimed like a little kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Nah, 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 nah. Something like that. <clears throat> Goliath started charging toward him. And I swear I heard David say, this one's for you, God. He took his slingshot out and he started swinging it faster and faster. Both camps were watching as the tension mounted. The Israelite camp was very tense and the Philistines had already heated up the barbecue. It looked inevitable. And the Israelites were ready to accept defeat. When all of a sudden, David let the stone go. And it hit Goliath smack dab in the forehead. Goliath slumped to the ground. The Israelites were stunned. They couldn't believe what had just taken place. Yelling and screaming and high fives were happening everywhere. What a sight it was. 
The Philistine camp, on the other hand, started glancing at their watches, saying, Well, look at the time. It's been fun, but we've got some um, gardening to tend to. Well, I mean, hate to try and ruin your lives forever and run, but duty calls. And they were out of there so fast, you would have thought Scotty from the Enterprise had beamed everybody up. Not a sign of the Philistines to be found. Needless to say, the Israelites were victorious, all because of the faith of a young kid. And I think back to all of that, and it's still funny to me how Saul and the rest of the Israelite camp saw a giant in their path and asked, why? David saw a giant in his path and exclaimed, why not? It's not too big for my God. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> Forgive me, I didn't even introduce myself. My name is David, King David. That probably wasn't very fair of me, but I just love talking in the third person. Must be leaving now. Yeah, telling that story always makes me hungry. <clears throat> Cheers, King David. Um, that's an amazing story, isn't it? It's a really well-known story, whether you are familiar with the Bible or not, whether you've been to church a million times or you've only ever been once, this is your first time. The story of David and Goliath is a really familiar story. It's the story of a small boy who literally takes on a bigger person and wins. And this story is one of the first steps in a journey towards David becoming king. And I'm on a little bit of a journey myself at the moment because in, in January, I decided that I was going to start running. And um, what I did was I started a program that is called Couch to 5K. Anybody ever heard of Couch to 5K? Yeah, I know that there's a few people on it. They're ahead of me in the program, which winds me up a little bit. Um, but basically, the program is designed to get people who are used to just sitting on the couch and their only journey is from the couch to the refrigerator, is getting them used to running. So it starts off on week one, and you do 30 seconds of running, followed by a 60-second walk, followed by 30 seconds of running, followed by a 60-second walk, and you get back really proud of yourself, and then you realize you've only done three minutes of running. Um, but what it does is it builds up your endurance, it builds up your ability, it builds up your um, capability to run further and for longer. Um, yesterday, I did, I think it was the beginning of week four, I ran for a total of 16 minutes, everybody. Thank you very much. So I did a five-minute warm-up walk. I did three minutes of running, followed by 90 seconds of walking, followed by five whole minutes of running, followed by two and a half minutes recovery walk, followed by a further three minutes running, 90 seconds walking, and then five minutes of running. And I am very proud of myself. But do you know what? I could not have got up in January and decided I am going to run 5k I probably would have died like I was not fit enough and I'm still not fit enough and I've got bigger runs I'm looking ahead looking at what's to come thinking oh my goodness how on earth am I going to do that run but you know I've got to do the things that I've got to do today in order to equip me to do the things that I need to do tomorrow you see and David understood this in this story because he knew what had gone on before equipped him to face this giant that he was facing today. He says this in 1 Samuel 17. He said, but David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the door, jaw and club it to death. What a man. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this. Do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, he was charged with looking after sheep, and he'd done that faithfully. He'd served really well. He'd given it everything that he got. He knew that he'd taken on lions and bears and he knew that he could beat lions and bears. And he looked at Goliath and thought, if I can beat lions and bears, that's the next step up. I reckon I can do it. And because of him being faithful and facing the things that he had to face yesterday, he could take on the giant today. You see, sometimes we, we might be like King David and we might think, you know, one day I'm going to wake up and be king. And, you know, he had a promise that he was going to be king. I'm hopefully going to be able one day to run 5K. But it doesn't happen overnight. We have to take part in the journey. David knew that he had to be faithful, and this was part of his journey of becoming king. You see, if we're going to become bigger people, it starts with being willing to serve in the small. You know, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. We have to be willing to serve in the small mundane. We have to be willing to serve in the today. Whatever God has placed in front of you today to serve in, give it your all. It is a biblical principle. If you look right through the Bible, there are leaders in the Bible who started by serving in the small. You've got Gideon, David, Moses, Joseph, Nehemiah, tons and tons of leaders started in the small, serving in small, insignificant places, but because they could be trusted with little, God trusted them with a bit more and a bit more, and a bit more. If we're going to become bigger people, we have to be willing to serve in what God has given us today. In Colossians 3, it's from the message version. I want to read something because I find it quite challenging. And it says this, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. Children and young people, you need to listen. Earthly masters are your parents or whoever you're at home with. And it says this, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Check this out. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. The sullen, moody servant who does shoddy work. Now, I've been that sullen, moody servant, and I think actually every, every boy in the room will have done what I did as a teenager. When it came to dishes or loading or unloading the dishwasher, I thought to myself, if I do this badly, I will never be asked to do it again. And I did it as a husband, and it didn't work. It never works. You see, we think if we do this badly, we can get away with it, or we do the minimum to just get by because we don't think it's worth our all. And we think, when I get to that elevated position, when I get the important job, I will give it my all. But at the moment, this job feels rubbish. This job feels insignificant. This job is a job that I don't want to do. I'm just going to do shoddy. I'm going to do it to the minimum that I need to do it. I'm not going to give it my best. But, you know, I think if we're going to give, become bigger people, we need to give our all to the jobs that we hate. Kids and young people, that means when you're asked to tidy your room, don't just do the bare minimum and shove all the wrappers in the, in the cupboards and shove all your 
clean clothes in the wash again. Like, do it to the best of your ability. Not so you'll make your parents happy, but do it as though you're doing it for God himself. You know, if you're a bit older and maybe you're in a job that you just feel, actually, I'm only in this job so that I can have a bit of money or I feel stuck in this dead-end job. I feel stuck under a manager that I think I could do a better job. Let me tell you, do it with all of your heart. Do it with everything. Don't just do the bare minimum to get by. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up bad work. Guys, if we're going to be bigger people, let's give our all to the rubbish jobs. Let's give our all to the things that we don't want to do. Let's give our all to the things that we think are meaningless. Do you know, if you apply this principle and this um, this lesson and mindset to your life, I guarantee you it will make you a better student at school or college. I guarantee you it will make you a better employee. I guarantee it will make you a better parent, a better husband or wife, a better child. It will, it will improve the way that you tackle life because you look at it and go, I'm going to do everything I can do. I'm not just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to give everything to it. You see, David learned that in order to be king, he had to be trusted with the little that he had and then he could get a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and eventually he knew that when he became king he had passed all the tests and he could be trusted with an entire kingdom because he could be trusted with a few little sheep guys if we're going to become bigger people let's be willing to serve in the small we're going to move on to the next bit of the story for this you need to turn your eyes to the screen there's a little animation to explain the story of david and saul The Miracle of Mercy David and Saul This is David. Hey! David was a shepherd who lived in Israel. David was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel when he was just a boy. But David had to wait a very long time until that promise would come true because there was another king of Israel named Saul. Saul was strong and tall and looked like everything a king should be. But Saul did not follow God like he was supposed to. And for that reason, God chose to take the kingdom from Saul's family and give it to David's. David became a great warrior. And everyone in the kingdom loved David. This made Saul jealous, and Saul hated David because he thought he would try to kill him and take the throne from his family. So Saul wanted to kill David. Saul hunted David, but he couldn't catch him. One day, Saul heard that David was in the wilderness of En Gedi, So Saul gathered 3,000 of his skilled fighters and went to find and kill David. During Saul's search for David, he went in a cave to relieve himself. Well, this very cave was the one where David and his men were hiding. And when David's men saw that Saul was unaware that David was there and unable to defend himself, they said, Now's your chance, David. This is God telling you that he will give you your enemy to do with as you wish. 
So David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. But then David began to think that it was not right for him to take Saul's life. For no matter how much hardship and difficulty Saul had caused him, it was still not right for him to hurt the one who God had placed over Israel. So David told his men to back off, and he did not let them kill King Saul. They waited until after Saul had left the cave. And then David ran out of the cave and shouted after Saul, My king, why do you listen to people who say I am trying to harm you? Look, I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting me. David went on to promise that he would never harm Saul. David said that God would be the one to protect David and to rescue him from Saul's power. Saul said, Is that really you, David? And he began to cry. Saul said, You are a better man than I. You have been amazingly kind to me today. For when God put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would have done this? And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. But promise me that when that happens, you will not kill my family. So David promised that he would not hurt Saul's family, and they left each other in peace. Now Saul continued to cause difficulty in David's life. But David kept his promise and in time, David did become king of Israel. David was dearly loved by God, and Israel did flourish under his rule because David did everything that God wanted him to do, and he was a man after God's own heart. You know, I'm sure most of us have heard that story before, and I've taught on it quite a few times, but God has just really spoken to me um, through this story. You know, in that cave, David had a decision to make. You know, Saul had ruined his life. This guy had literally wrecked his life. He wanted to kill him, and he hadn't even done anything wrong. And this was his chance in the cave to get even. You know, Saul had taken 3,000 men with him to look for David, but he went into this cave on his own. And, you know, some people, the Bible says that it says to relieve himself. Some people think that that's to go to the toilet. Other people like this animation think that's to sleep. But actually, he was in this cave on his own. David had a moment, a decision to make. Now, can you imagine being in that cave? He's with all his mates, his men, his army. They're people that, you know, support him and are with him egging him on, saying, this is your moment. This is what God said was going to happen. He's put Saul in this cave so that you can kill him. God is providing your enemy into your hands. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, if anyone said to me, I dare you to do that, I would do it. If my mates egged me on to do something, I would do it. And I've had to learn not to always do that. Do you know what? Bigger people don't join in. They stand up. And David chooses, despite all his mates and all his friends saying, yeah, do it, do it, do it. David chooses to spare Saul's life. And David's actions had considerable significance. Taking a portion of the royal robe could have been interpreted in that time as a transfer of power from David to Saul. He had the opportunity to kill Saul, change his life and take his place as king. He knew that God had called him to be king. 
But David makes a decision to be a bigger person. He then confronts Saul and explains how he spared his life. And Saul is blown away and responds with, you are more righteous than I. You know, in our lives, you might have big decisions that you've got to make at the moment. Um, You might have little decisions every day that you have to make. You know, do we make the right decisions? You know, when we're driving and someone cuts us up, when you're at school and you see a kid sitting on his own or a new kid, what do you do? Maybe it's gossip at work. Maybe it's thinking about that social media post. Maybe it's helping somebody out when actually you're on a really busy, stressful day. You know, just like Saul and David's men were blown away by the decision that he made, people in this world on this day are blown away when we make decisions for God and not for ourselves or the world. You know, a few years ago, we were in our local co-op and me and Hannah were stood behind this woman and she'd put all this food through. And uh, the lady said how much it was and said, right, are you going to pay? And she did that thing where you pack your pockets. You know, everyone does that. And she'd forgotten her wallet. She didn't have a card. She didn't have any money. And there was this moment where she looked at the cashier and the cashier looked at her and nobody knew quite what to do. And something came over me and I believe it was the Holy Spirit. And I just went, we'll pay. Hannah looked at me like, what? But in that moment, we made a decision to say, actually, yeah, we'll pay. And it was four pounds. It was four pounds. But the woman looked at me as if I'd just given her a million Like she was blown away by the decision that we made in that moment. She wanted our address to come round and drop the money off. I said, don't worry about it, it's four pounds, God bless you. You know, people are blown away when we make decisions, when we take the time to think about God and what he wants and not ourselves. And it's amazing how decisions that we make can change a situation or influence the people around us. You know, Jesus spent his life making decisions that were countercultural and blew people away. Like speaking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Like going to dinner at a tax collector's house. Like spending three years investing into 12 young guys. So this morning, I want to ask, what is God asking of you? What decisions do you need to make in your life? Maybe this morning it's to be a better friend. Maybe it's to not get involved with gossip. Maybe it's to be more proactive in sharing your faith. Maybe it's to stand up for those who need it. Maybe it's to pray more as a family or as an individual. Maybe it's to have more patience and be kinder to people. Maybe it's to have wisdom in those moments where it's a busy day and you're stressed and someone cuts you up or someone drops something in the office to actually say, do you know what? I'm going to be a bigger person here. I'm going to put my day on pause and I'm going to help and show God's love. I'm just going to invite the band up. You know, I was blown away. I was in a, an estate agency this week. We we're looking to buy a house in the next few months. That's a big decision that we're seeking God on. But I was chatting to a guy in there and he said, what do you do for a job? And I said, I'm the kids pastor at Life Central Church. And he said, oh, is that the Zion? I said, yeah, it was. He said, I've met so many people all around from that church. And it really spoke to me about actually the influence that we can have. There is so many people in here, so many kids, so many young people, so many adults that actually we're all over in different places and we can have an impact. What if we all started making decisions that actually weren't for ourselves, that were for God? Why don't you bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Father, I just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit be here. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning. 
God, would we know where we can make decisions for you? I thank you for David and this story. That he listened to you and made a big decision despite what other people were saying. And Lord, you went on to honour him. Lord, we just ask your Holy Spirit just to speak to us about what we can do to be bigger people. 